HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. This week on Meet and Three, we bring you stories about the coldest, darkest season. We start in a California vineyard. It's cold, but it's wet, and things are still alive. There's a lot of life in this soil. We explore two frontiers of cocktail culture, luxury ice and the rise of non-alcoholic drinks. The rocks traditionally becomes 25% of your drink's volume, and as such, it imparts smells and tastes. And we investigate the risks facing New York City delivery workers during the harsh winter. In the wintertime, after two hours of biking, it's quite easy, actually, for the bikes to sing upside down or slips or slide. Tune in to this week's episode of Meat and Three, that's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E, for some food for thought to sustain you through the dead of winter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. to HRN Happy Hour. It's five o'clock somewhere, and somewhere is Bushwick. I'm Kat Johnson, the communications director here at HRN, and I'm here with the crew. First up, my co-host, Katie Mosman-Wadler, our executive director. Hey, Kat. Hannah Forden, our program manager. Happy Thursday. And Liza Ham, our special projects impresario. Hello there. Nice I'm, use Empresaria of... Empresaria Russ. Good vocab word. I'm giving you a new title. Sorry. Uh, is that okay, also, Katie? Uh, it's great. Okay, yeah. Go. Upgrade. Uh, we've got Amanda Wang in the booth, making sure we all sound great. Hey, Amanda. Hey, Amanda. And our special guest today, you could say she's our Valentine. It is Aww. Valentine's Day. Is writer Larissa Zimbarov. Hi, Larissa. Hey, girls. Hey. Hi. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day, guys. Thank you. To celebrate, we are drinking a bubbly rosé from our uh, Roberta's, obviously. <laughs> I don't know exactly where the wine's from. It's from It's France. a, it's it's a Zevro, Zev, uh, Zev, how do you say the importer? Uh, Zev Selections, uh, who I am a big fan of. May we? Zev Ravine. Zev Ravine. Nice. If you ever want to nice. find a good wine in Brooklyn, if you find Zev is the importer, I'm going to tell you that's probably good. Just that's my plug for the week. Um, they have very good taste. Good choices. Yeah. One thing we should start with is uh, we had a listener comment from last week. Yes, we did. Because we talked about Super Bowl commercials. <gasps> hey, Neil. Neil, shout out to Neil. We had a lot of gripes about Super Bowl commercials, and Neil pointed out that we missed the biggest gripe of all, in that we didn't talk about the stereotypical gendered glassware being used in the Stella Artois commercial mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. the dude and um, Carrie Bradshaw. Bradshaw. You remember the dude? Yeah. The dude did not use the chalice. The dude just drank it out of the bottle, because I guess that's what you would assume a a guy who's a just dude. like, you know, lazy, hippie kind of guy wouldn't care for glassware. And Carrie Bradshaw had the stem. And Neil, she's high maintenance. Yeah. And suppose. Neil, as someone who works at a bar, said that that is something that he sees a lot of in that 
men don't want to have a stemmed glass. They want to drink out of a rocks glass or a pint glass and that women are assumed to want the fancy stemware. I'm going to play devil's advocate here, even though I was a kid who was called a feminazi in middle school. (laughs) But also, they were being true to their characters. You know, like they're recycling characters who are you know, very well known. They're iconic. <laughs> and let's be real. Carrie Bradshaw would never drink beer out of a bottle. I mean, Wait, honestly, I'm clear if she'd beer? ever drink beer at all. Like, yeah. I mean, I didn't watch this beer. show, but like, I question <laughs> this. Totally drink from bottles. Yeah. For sure, for but sure. I feel like yeah. that was only when she was like, trying like, to catering to like a grungy boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. oh. She was in the meatpacking district. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. She was like, oh, I'm going downtown. I'm going to have it a beer. It depends on the neighborhood. I, I don't know. I, the other counterpoint to that is that like, I do feel that the dude appreciates the finer things and, you know, he drinks white Russians all the time. That's like, he true. knows what he likes. And so yeah. either, you know, maybe that was like an oversight in the commercial and maybe he would have stayed in character and loved the chalice, but also... Maybe he really has thought about how he most enjoys drinking his Stella, and perhaps it is the bottle. But Neil, heard, consider yourself heard, and thank you so much for the comment. And we'd love to know, listeners, what you all think. Also, sidebar, I'm pretty sure that Jeff Bridges is sober. Oh, oh. really? Well, am I making that up? He I... might be sober, but he still wants the money. Yeah. I was going to say, there's a price for everything. <laughs> anyway, hi, Neil. Hey, Neil. Um, Neil couldn't call in because he said his car was too loud. But Neil, um, you're welcome to call in at any other time you want. All right. Any other announcements, anybody? Any other feedback from last week or previous episodes? We've never had a call, like a caller. We've had like guest call-ins. We've never mm-hmm. had like a listener call-in. So if any open open invitation, if anyone ever wants to call in and just like bring up any topic, oh, yeah. relevant or not, you're Amanda, really this is to. terrible because I haven't quite memorized this phone number. Can you tell us the um, call-in number for HR and Happy Hour, please? Yeah, sure. The call-in number is seven one eight four nine seven two one two eight. Thank you. Now that you say it, I'm like, yes, of course, of course, that's it. Um, too many numbers swirling through my head. If you want to know our tax ID, though, I can recite that like so quick um okay well we have a couple do we have any other announcements before we get to headlines i don't think so. we do we definitely have some hot topics we want to talk about but we'll we we'll do. get to okay. that later all right and if you haven't checked out the hrn hall of fame you should definitely do that because oh, yeah. it's just a great source for learning about all the people that you should know about in the food space and being able to listen back to all the brilliant thing they've said on hrn so we're going to be announcing our february nominees Next. The 28th, I think. Yes. Next Saturday. So yeah. that gives you plenty of time to catch up on all the January nominees who are just like a kick-ass bunch of people. Mm-hmm. And they're not going anywhere. Don't worry. No. You'll still be able to see them, but you should check it out. Can you tell me one of the nominees for January? Yeah. One for January? Who should we pick? Um. Well, our, our kind of our first ever um, inductee was Alice Waters, mm-hmm. who you just hung out with. Um. And she was important for us to, I think, induct as one of the first because she is, was like instrumental in building the physical space that we're in to be able to be making food radio for 10 years. And she built a, ro- a garden on the roof mm-hmm. because she's Alice Waters. And of course, she would build a garden on the roof. Yes. Yeah. And she and Carla Petrini are also like instrumental in the. Um, well, yeah. And also in the philosophical heritage yes. of HRN. So yeah. Yeah. outside of the actual physical structure, they are responsible for the philosophical yeah. inspiration. Yes. And Carlo is actually the like the literal source of Heritage Radio Network because he used to run Radio Bra Onde Rosa, which was his pirate radio station in Bra, Italy, uh, which he was running in the 80s and getting chased down by the Italian government, which inspired Patrick Martins to start Heritage in the backyard of Roberta's oh. 10 years ago. So Love it. We, uh, we were able to um, let both of them know about the Hall of Fame and their induction when we were in California in January. Uh, so that was really special. How perfect for Valentine's Day. It was. It was yeah. That was a very dreamy trip. And in fact, we bumped yeah. into you on that trip also. Uh, we went from our incredible dinner where we had dinner with Alice Waters and Carlo and Patrick and a bunch of folks from Slow Food. And uh, then Michael Pollan dropped by. Cash. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then we went to the Good Food Humble Awards. <laughs> it was insane. I'm pretty sure that I was just like having an out-of-body experience that whole entire week. The other person then I was going to bring up me. from the... And then I ran into Larissa <laughs> oh at God. the Good Food Awards, Mercantile, which was amazing. And um, 
we also that week had just I had just gotten to interview Jamie Oliver in the studio. He sat where you're sitting, and that was his first time at HRN. <laughs> it and, was another uh, one of our January holidays. He Fame. exactly. So I'm bringing nice. it full circle because um, you know Alice and Carlo were some of the first people who were on HRN. Jamie was one of the most recent, but also for me was very formative in my decision to kind of go into food and looking at like food and public health. He was, in fact, I like mentioned him in my grad school application letter, which I wasn't sure if I should mention him. I didn't want to be like super stalkery or anything, but um, it was, it was really cool. So it was cool to add him, but the hall of fame is amazing because there are like some super celebrities in there and also some folks who are not as widely known, but have done really amazing and impactful work that is totally in line with our mission of improving equity, sustainability, and deliciousness at Heritage Radio Network. So we could gush all day about that, but um, stay tuned on the 28th for another batch of inductees and prepare to be amazed. Uh, so with that, we're going to jump into our headlines. Um, thank you, Amanda. On this week's Food Without Borders, our host, Leah Kurtz, sits down with Amy Quiches. And she is the founder of Veggie Mijas. Veggie Mijas is a national collective for women and non-binary people of color that's rooted in the intersection of race, gender identity, class, sexuality, and veganism. In this episode, Amy talks about the pervasive whiteness in mainstream feminism and veganism and how she's building a community based on radical liberation for all. And this week's episode of The Great Nation, which was the 100th episode of The Great Nation, and it was all about champagne. How fitting. Yes. The guest is Michelle DeFio, the president of Champagne Laurent Perrier. Host Sam Ruby talked with DeFio about how she worked her way up the champagne ladder to her current position. You'll hear about how she fine-tuned her skills at a wine shop and broke into the biz as an admin assistant at Clicquot. And Ellen Goldsmith, author of Nutritional Healing with Chinese Medicine, appears on this week's episode of Feast Meets West where she speaks about the ancient Eastern wisdom of food as medicine. Ellen discusses the foundations and concepts of Chinese medicine and how you can actively improve your health by doing something as simple as, and enjoyable as eating, which, what could be better? Mm, Yes. And we should uh, give a quick tease for tomorrow's meet and three. Could you guess what the theme might be? Valentine's Day. (laughs) Love Um, it or hate it. Uh, that's happening today. the thing is if you love no matter if you love it or hate it you're gonna like tomorrow's show mm-hmm. because we it's we're not we're not being all in favor of valentine's day with our stories necessarily we are tackling a couple of i would say like more cliche aspects of it but in a unique way we're going to be talking about a dessert bar that does a tasting menu of desserts but how they're kind of preparing for the holiday and trying to subvert like cliches of desserts um, and, and bring something unique to people on the holiday. Um, they're having, they're going to have a literally in like a literal insane night tonight because they're adding, they typically do two turns of um, six. Two, of six course yeah. menus and they're adding a third turn, but also eight courses. Oh my so God. there it's just, it seems like they're, they're trying to make it, horrible but the moral of the story is if you're going out to eat tonight for valentine's day just leave a generous tip absolutely it's a stressful night if you're working in a restaurant um and they're working really hard to make it as romantic and magical as possible for you (laughs) that's true story and then we also have a story about rosé and and we we dive into lots a few different aspects of rosé but primarily like it, it is the holiday of Valentine's Day actually something that's boosting sales of rosé. Um, we seem to indicate yes based on our afternoon, but, yeah. you know. That's true. <laughs> We're doing our part. Yeah. But Valentine's Day, I mean, love it or hate it, we have something for lovers and we have something for haters on this week's episode. We also have a story about diamonds, but not the diamonds that are often associated with the holiday. Um, more like salt diamonds. Diamond Crystal Salt. Don't give it away. It's such a good story. It is a great story and something that you might not be expecting. And then, um, of course, we had to do a story about an aphrodisiac. That's all I'm going to say. Because it's not going to be one that you've probably heard of. But you should try it. You never know. Yeah, Yeah, who needs Viagra? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay. So tune in tomorrow. Please make sure you're subscribed to Meet and 3 because if you are not, you are missing out. You might be a fan of Heritage Radio Network Happy Hour, where we are flying fast and loose every Thursday, but um, also meeting three on Fridays is really where it's at. When we you clean up see, nice. Um, yeah, we do. We do. <laughs> um, but, you know, we do happy hour nice, too. Um, I'm happy because we just had, like, a 
quite a spread from Roberta's. Um, and I still have some wine and some olives and we had so much pizza and the crispy grain salad is so good right now. Everybody come and eat that. Um, okay. So very, very pleased to move into our interview with Larissa Zimbaroff. She is a food writer, a bi-coastal food writer. Um, her bylines have appeared in the New York times, wired Bloomberg business week and PR and many other outlets. And some of her recent work has explored some science behind grocery store tech, which I'm super interested to talk more about. Larissa got her MFA in creative nonfiction from the new school in 2013. Larissa, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here, ladies, and to drink your pink bubbles together. <laughs> what else do we do? Day. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's a magical day. Um, so tell us like your quick story of how you became a food writer. This is a career that a lot of people, um, you know, especially like in, in my graduate program are um, kind of coming into the world knowing like they, they absolutely want to be a food writer, but it's a very like kind of difficult career to become established in. So how did you pull that off? It was hard. As it, um, you know, I usually the one word answer is hustle, um, but it began with my uh, creative, my nonfiction uh, MFA. And when I came out of school, I knew I didn't want to be a generalist. Food was always my, my home base. My, I grew up with a dad, a Jewish father, cooking Chinese food all the time. And those little bowls and the prep work and the chopping, like the you know hours of work behind it, sitting on the kitchen counter watching him do this, um, certainly planted the seed for food to, for food to come, come into my, my heart. Um, and then you know in school, I was writing. I thought I would be David Sedaris. That's, that's, that was actually what I first <laughs> thought I would be. The next David Starrs, not gay and not a man, um, <laughs> but <and> snarky, <laughs> definitely snarky. You know, but then I realized his family was so much better than mine and so much funnier than mine, um, and so I got out of school and had a few breaks in food. I just knew that food was what I should be writing about, and um, just kept my focus. Um, mostly, when I tell people I write about food, they do kind of get starry-eyed and dreamy mm-hmm. about having my job. Um, and the first thing they ask me is, what's your favorite restaurant? And they assume that I review restaurants. Right. So that, <laughs> then I have to break down those walls and explain that I do other things and write about other stuff. And because I'm a freelancer, who doesn't get paid all the time or often? Um, I write about things that I love. So it's like, I don't, if I don't want to learn about it, I don't write about it. Mm-hmm. If I don't want to spend three weeks in, interviewing people, then I'm not going to do it. So it's, it's a luxury and it's, um, it's a challenge, but it's really wonderful. So I have to ask you about something that I think is uh, common amongst a lot of freelance writers. And I feel like it, it's not exclusive to food writing, but certainly it's a kind of different brand of it. PR pitches. <laughs> the sort of PR pitches that can come across a food writer's inbox. Yes. How do you feel about them? What, like, what, what just makes you shake your head at your computer? And uh, some of our listeners might not really also know that, like, getting PR pitches is a thing. So start oh, with the most general enough. background. Okay. So a lot of my stories do come from me just out and about learning about things. But easily, you know, at least a story a month comes in or a story every two months comes in that I get from a PR person. Um, but it takes a lot to to get my eyeballs and something I learned about how I pitch editors is to not make it look like a PR email. So that should tell all the PR people listening to this, not to make their email look like a PR email. What does a PR email look like? So, you know, strangely you ask, I have an example (laughs) and conveniently we're at Valentine's day where, which is like bringing like the worst batch of PR emails around. And, and as background also, like I emailed you yesterday to be like Valentine's day, love it or hate it. Yeah. So maybe I liked it one day, but then I became a food writer and I got emails (laughs) that like, are you doing any love roundups? Um, so oh gosh, the roundup. The roundup. <laughs> the roundup is an assortment of things like you must do, like the bubbles. Drink these three bubbles and find a man. Because I know that as a writer, all you want to do is write lists. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's your aspiration. It's the epitome of creativity. <laughs> it is the epitome of creativity. Um, 
so here's one and here's you know there's the subject line and often you know everyone out here is probably using gmail you can see the beginning of the subject line and sometimes i will tilt my phone horizontally <laughs> mm. so that i can see all of the subject line before <laughs> i click on it and i do that and i'm telling you my secret which is i do that because i don't want to click in because if i click in they're going to track me mm-hmm. and i do not want to be tracked so uh, I, I do have one to read you. Unfortunately, now it means they're tracking me. Mm. But if I don't click and open an email, I, I just highlight it and I drag it into a folder that I may or may not ever look at ever again. Secret. Uh, mm-hmm. you, heard it, you heard it here first. Can so I this ask why you don't delete it? Oh, Like you know, if you're not interested? Sometimes I might be bored and I might go through it. Sometimes I might need a name mm-hmm. of somebody. Okay. You'll be able to search through. You just, and I can, no, you just never know. As a journalist, you have to be prepared. Save, save, to save. Write. Yeah. Cool. So here. Yeah, similarly, I never, ever delete an email. Yeah, yeah. And like my mom is the opposite. She thinks everything has to be deleted or something's going to happen. Like her, yeah. her space limit is going to be out. It reaches like a maximum capacity and then your computer blows up. She's I like, think it's like a generational thing. Too. Right, right. Like I, I understand it. that like delete storage it. gets cheaper faster than we can fill it. Right. Yeah, yeah. So here's one. Cupid goes commando at the refinery hotel, <laughs> a study in portraiture. A study. It's educational. Yeah. Tell you us think. more. <laughs> so, um, Valentine's Day. So, the thing that really got me. So, here's her. A quirky twist on a paint and sip class where singles can uncork their creativity to paint a live, in parents, and sexy, semi-nude male Cupid. Now, you tell me, listener, does that sound like a PR pitch or does that sound like something crafty that I have written? I like that she didn't use any cliches. <laughs> no cliches. So, um, what time does it start? <laughs> we gotta go. Sorry, we're ending the show early. As Hannah and Liza slow. <laughs> so, so words to avoid: ultimate event, um, single ladies, and open-minded gentlemen. Let's talk about that. What's an open-minded gentleman? I still worried about the single gentleman. Yeah. What about the open-minded ladies? Yeah. What the, about the closed-minded ladies in open relationships? <laughs> yeah. ah. So many options. It's a little too exclusionary. Yeah. And, it, I, and it, it's from 6 to 7 p.m. and there's live jazz. Uh-oh. Gotta go. <laughs> gotta go. Um, and and this is like a, a, a drink and draw, a paint. It's a, a drink and draw night. painting situation and there's a man in red boxer briefs no. with wings <laughs> and a bow and arrow. And... <laughs> While he is attractive, I might say, it's not for me. So, anyways, um, those are some of the things that I get. In in addition to the wonderful things I get, I also get things like this that shows that they don't read my work, that shows that they don't think I'm serious. Just like my mom, I have to, like, remind her what I do. We get a lot of PR emails that are like, Dear Heritage Radio Network, we thought so-and-so would be great for your show. We're like, you have not done even uh, the smallest guys. amount of research. <laughs> but which one? And then, oh, do like, they say get... so and so? Like, quote unquote, so and so? Like, if they're pitching, no. I, I don't know why I'm thinking of Arnold Schwarzenegger, maybe because you were saying, like, this, like, ripped guy. Yeah. They're like, we think Arnold Schwarzenegger, Dear Heritage Radio Network, Arnie would be great on your show. <laughs> and we're like, huh? please have him on your show. He's in town this day. And I'm like, we and got 35 shows, guys. Like, which come on, just pick one. Like, you could take literally three, and three. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Arnold, if you're listening, please, you're invited anytime. We'll put you on any show. Like, oh, I'm uh, sorry, what does Arnold eat? I would love to hear about this. I, mean, I would yeah, love to He's know probably too. very thoughtful about his diet. Um, also, his family, uh, I believe he came from a family of bakers. I could be wrong about that. But um, that was my, my family, family has some ties through the Catskills. <laughs> Uh, also Same that. Thing. We have to eat a lot of bread. You know, you're gonna be I guess it depends who you ask these days. But back in the day, if you were a bodybuilder, you had to eat a lot of bread. Um, anyway, but yeah, there's uh, something to be said there. But yeah, we get a lot of that. And then we get a lot of like people pitching um, podcasts that are not and nor have they ever been part of Heritage Radio Network, Ugh. which is also like, guys, come on. Uh, anyway, um, Larissa, you've been doing some reporting that I find really interesting about how grocery stores are changing and I was thinking about this today because I was multitasking. We um, 
were working out of Say Coffee on Grattan Street, just around the corner, which is beautiful. And uh, I was like kind of doing some emails, doing some other stuff. And I was like, oh crap, it's also Valentine's Day and I don't have any plans. So I was like cooking something nice. So I was ordering my groceries online and you just wrote a report about dark stores. Oh, yes. Can you explain what a dark store is? So glad you asked. (laughs) So um, you were probably ordering from Food Kick. In fact, I was. Which is owned by Fresh Direct, Mm -hmm. who should be a sponsor of the show. Big fan, yes. Big fan. So Food Kick is there. Order it. Get it in an hour or two hours. They use cars. They use bicycles they use um, people walking for a while they use scooters but the insurance became hard <laughs> but so what they what they needed were um, small warehouses that could have a subset of the most wanted goods and they're not open to the public but they're completely stocked and they look like a, sh- a supermarket and they they coined someone coined the word dark store so it's not open to the public but it's fully working as a supermarket there are fresh direct employees going and picking groceries and cars are pulling up and picking up the 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 um the orders and delivering them asap and there's one in williamsburg and there's one in um hell's kitchen on Mm. in manhattan so if I was ordering to the East Village, do you know which one I would have oh, gotten? Oh, for sure the Manhattan store. Okay. Yeah. And they are, you know, one person will work to, they'll, they'll, they'll organize the order so that one person goes and delivers as many to that area as possible. They spend a lot of time thinking about those deliveries. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's really interesting. And the funny, the funny sideline to that story isn't really about the dark store, but um, I couldn't get an, I couldn't see the store mm-hmm. and I they wouldn't tell me exactly where the store was mm-hmm. but I knew sort of where the store was and I went on Google Maps and I found <laughs> it <laughs> and there were all these people with fresh direct shirts and mm-hmm. signs on their cars and on their uh-huh. bodies so it was easy to figure out um, but yeah the dark store is going to is going to keep going like these these places to be stocked up where you don't you can't go in but but these like employees are. So does it really look like a grocery store? Because the picture that was with that article is like a guy with a shopping cart in what looks like it could be Whole Foods or if you're from New England like me, like Hannaford. Um, but I pictured in my head when I'm like I'm ordering from Food Kick what I envision because I do think about like where does it come from? <laughs> I think about like a more of like an Amazon warehouse mm-hmm. kind of thing with like conveyors or maybe like B and H photo with a big conveyor belt. <laughs> I don't more picture industrial. like a more a, a, a like proper display shelves grocery store so where does it fall it definitely has it definitely has shelves it's just not probably not as well lit it's Mm -hmm. not there's nothing marked on it and these 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 employees probably have them not a tablet but some sort of iphone Mm -hmm. situation that's like they're running around picking it's um, like bins you know five but they're still they're they're gonna have a grocery they're gonna have a a red basket just like you have and they're gonna be wandering up and down the aisles grabbing the stuff but is there a checkout (laughs) yeah no no checkout um they actually i mean i didn't get a tour of it so fresh direct is lovely but they're not as they're not they are secretive and a lot of these places are secretive so there there's a there's sort of a like we want to tell you more but we'll only tell you this much Mm. So what's going on with our collective psyche, where we'll order so many things online, but there are very differing reports about whether or not we're willing to order groceries online. Liza was talking about a meeting that she was just at. So, okay, so I live in a very large apartment building. There are probably over 300 apartments. Uh, There was a board meeting this week. I finally went to my first one. And they informed us that they had it on good authority that none of us will be going to grocery stores in the next few years. We will all be ordering. So they're trying to figure out, like, do they wow. need to build refrigerators? I mean, crazy, right? Like, I was like... I don't like that. If, if, the, if the building should build, like, its own refrigerators yeah. so like, store in bulk or something? Right, to store in bulk if L- we're not Liz, there. where do you live? Because that's my next story. <laughs> that is fascinating. Got but, my next story, people. Yeah. <laughs> but I did, in my mind, I was like, how dare you tell me I'm never going to the grocery store again? Like, I'm going to go to the grocery store. But then at the, I noticed at the it's, same time, Katie was ordering online. Like, literally, as she was telling this story, I was like, don't look at my computer screen right now. Don't so speak it's so weird soon, I am like, I am a huge food snob. I'll admit it. I'm, like, not proud. And I'm very selective. I happen to have found this grocery delivery store service that I trust. And, like, I'm almost always happy with. And whenever I'm not, like, they eventually make it right. Um, but, like, they send good stuff, and, you know, sometimes you have that thing where you think you ordered, like, four peppers, and you ordered four pounds of peppers, or something, like, sometimes the units get We've off. all been there. But, like, you know, for the most part, like, I, I'm very happy, and I don't have, I don't live in a food desert, but I don't have, like, 
nice grocery stores that I can easily carry bags home from in my neighborhood. So I find that I'm very happy with the quality of grocery delivery, but there is like this sort of maybe stigma against it or like people are much more willing to order other types of like conveniences and, and non-perishable type stuff. Right. And like how many people are using like Amazon pantry, but want to go to the grocery store for produce. So like, where do you think our minds are at as far as uh, maybe like, I don't know, like New York Metro or maybe by coastal or maybe like the entire country, where do we fall? So what's happening is that the, the supermarket thought they had one customer and now the supermarket has 1000 customers and they're trying to hedge their bets and try a bunch of different things. Like I, I spoke to some high up people at Safeway and Albertsons and they're looking at like Uber Eats is p driving by and picking up groceries and delivering them. So that's on the West coast. That's their version of food kick. Um, you know, uh, people that are going into the markets, they, they need marketing that speaks to each different consumer. And that's eventually mm -hmm. where your phone is going to get you a hint or actually um, spoiler alert, your phone is tracking you all the time. When you're in the supermarket, what? you're getting super tracked. Mm -hmm. So if you don't want to be tracked, put it on airplane mode because as soon as you connect to their Wi-Fi, as soon as you walk in, it's going to ping and it's going to know everything. Is it those like beacons that are like... Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, so what's happening is that I don't shop online for groceries. I only go to the store or I go to the farmer's market. Not to say that that's better than what you're doing, um, but... We're we probably the five of us probably all do things differently, mm -hmm. and so you know, Liz, your your building saying no one will shop at the <laughs> grocery store ever again is tough because what we want is we want we want it exactly the way right. we want it, and so that's what's happening to supermarkets. They're gonna I think they're gonna get smaller. I think they're gonna become more curated. I think you know we're gonna have you're gonna go to Food Kick for this. You're gonna go to the supermarket mm -hmm. for this. You're gonna go to the farmers market for this. Um, and that, that's how I see it going for the next, you know, five or so years. But I think places are going to start testing a lot of different avenues. Mm -hmm. Isn't that like the total antithesis of like what Walmart's strategy has been for a really long time and that they're trying to put all the small guys and all the highly curated guys out of business so that everyone comes to one place? Like, do you think and maybe it's just that we are now all having this rejection of the Walmart model and we want to we want to feel like we're shopping more locally and do you think that that's really what will will happen or are we still at risk of like the grocery delivery service becoming the new Walmart out of convenience sake I mean I guess we have to think about Amazon right because more and more of us are going to Amazon for more things you mm -hmm. know and and then we have to think about that the coasts are going to be very different from middle America um I don't shop at a Walmart or a Target because they're not really, they're not close not to available, me and they're not yeah. available. So I think that, I think that we're just going to keep, we're going to keep seeing this like refinement of the different type of consumer who wants different things. And as the internet grows to, you know, I, every day I learn about a new website that has like, this one has only Asian, premium Asian ingredients. Oh, how great. Like, I'll get a couple of things from them. Mm -hmm. This one has global spices. I'll go to them for a few things. So, like, you know, we're getting this like, um, this like might like split hairs of like mm -hmm. availability mm -hmm. um, where soon we'll be able to get a sauce from Africa that we that we had once. <laughs> When we went to Africa, now we can get it here. Um, but then again, you know, I live on the coast and I have a very specific mindset and I don't have, uh, I don't have a good knowledge of the, of what people are doing, but I'm going to Chicago this weekend and I'm going to get it. I'm going to go check things out. Cool. Um, but I think, I think we're going to have these big boxes and small boxes, online destinations. I think we're going to have this like very hybrid approach for a long time until it like, you know, I don't know. Finally, it's it's delivered by drone and yeah. Do, I mean, do you think we're at like a pendulum swing of specialization right now? I think we're getting close. I think we're getting close because I think in the next, I'd say in five years, we'll have things really tailored to us, mm -hmm. personalized nutrition. You know, the vitamins that are made exactly for your DNA. Right. We'll have um, the the gluten free bread that doesn't have flax seeds because you can't eat it um you know things <laughs> tailored specifically for you mm -hmm. yeah my sister-in-law who's a vegetarian and who has celiacs can find everything she wants you know right um yeah and, then, and how long before we have like the food printer that just like 
was like the you know creative spaceship form. thing no. where you're like yeah that's not that's not anytime soon good yeah one um, other thing I wanted to ask you about because you mentioned you when you were living in New York full time you were involved in the Park Slope food co-op and I'm involved in the Bushwick food co-op so I'm wondering within all the research that you've been (laughs) they're about to fight they're friends don't (laughs) worry they're friends the Bushwick co-op is like very small so they're all we're always like asking Park Slope like what do we do what's happening (laughs) like when the someone got in trouble a restaurant got in trouble for CBD the, earlier this week and it was like is this a one-off thing or is this going to be a thing where they're going to start do-? and we have like cbd kombucha and so we emailed park slope and we're like what have you heard i think <laughs> you guys should get an exemption just for being the bushwick food call you're like well come on we guys, have we to have, have to. cbd it's yeah. the law um so with, with all the kind of research you're doing and writing you're doing around the way that we're going to sh- grocery shopping is going to shift and i know that co-ops are not necessarily a they're not everywhere they're coastal, um, but you know they're throughout the country as well. But just not in all markets by any means. How do you think co-ops can will evolve? Can evolve? How will they play into? Especially like I know with Bushwick Food Co-op, like we're tiny, so we'll never like. I don't see a, an area when we'll be able to do delivery of any kind. Mm-hmm. None like not to mention mm-hmm. internet like orders. So what yeah. do you like? What do you think? How will they fit in? How will they survive? Yeah, I mean. The Park Slope Co-op does more per square foot than Whole Foods. So the Park Slope Co-op is surviving, right? Yeah. They have really nailed it. And um, some folks from Paris, from France, came to visit and are opening a co-op there. So I think that there's always room for, you know, there's a a second store opening up that's going to be waste-free. So bulk, a bulk store in Williamsburg. So there's There's the pre-cycle in Bushwick. There's one in Bushwick and there's going to be one in Williamsburg. So I think that we have room, like this you know, hybrid, like, like narrowly, like sourced markets where you can just, I'm, I don't like waste. So I go here. Right. So I think the park. So co-op is such a wonderful model because you work and you get great prices and the place is jam packed. I mean, if you walked in and were a normal shopper, you would hate it and you would walk out. But then you like become a believer and you are willing to shop like that. It's crowded, the lines are long, um, but the produce is great and it turns over so fast that nothing sits there. Um, there's creativity to it, there's like personality to it, but it's very unique and special. Um, but I, I, I don't see the world at the moment, I don't see the world going to cookie cutter. Uh, I just see it going to more like, um, hybrids of like what 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 is possible and everybody getting their special flower that they need which We're for me special flowers which exactly. for me is white lily which you can't get up here <laughs> and it's the only flower you can use to make biscuits that are good yeah yeah i mean there's i mean we didn't talk about the cashier list stores so there's oh, right yeah. and so there's the amazon wants to open like a couple thousand stores by 2020 there are uh, several in san francisco who are making this this model of scanners and sensors and you don't you don't have to see anybody but you walk in and they're very much like a 7-Eleven or a Mini Mart. They're they're they aren't special and they aren't unique. They're mm-hmm. they're cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think they're great in airports. I think they're great in the fast like things where you need it really fast. But they're not gonna serve you for like home. And they're not gonna they're gonna they're great for work. They're great for downtowns. They they serve their moment. Um, Do you think that there are advances that are going to be made in food access, though, for people who maybe are living in food deserts or for people who are on SNAP or on WIC? What does that look like in this kind of age of shifting technology? Well, I know that Fresh Direct is testing SNAP out on their website, which I think is wonderful. So Mm -hmm. I think if we can get more of that Mm -hmm. with the the more democratized, like, Walmarts and Targets, I mean, I I think as soon as we can, they can make those work more wide mainstream i think that's going to be great for that those programs mm-hmm. so that it's like they can order it and they talk no, about people and who are no like shame. better served who have like if you're working two three jobs and you're on snap and maybe you have kids like you you know it's it's hard to just be able to have the time to go to the grocery yeah. store and then you know there's i i did a some work in graduate school around this where like you look at what you can actually afford if you are subsisting on snap benefits and it's like you have to buy everything like, one, you may or may not have the advantage of being able to buy in bulk if you live in the city. Like, storage is an issue, and also just having the cash available or the benefits available to actually buy that amount in bulk. It's mm-hmm. like, the rich get richer. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like, okay, I bought 10 pounds of dried beans. Like, when are you going to... Like, 
you know, I work a one job and I don't have time to like cook dry beans. I'm an instant pot. Like, yeah. Yeah. So I, I really think that this application is so critical for people who are like really short on time and really trying to make ends meet. Um, so I hope to see more yeah. developments there. Yeah. I mean, I guess you might say that maybe what, what they need, what they also need and which would be wonderful is if someone like Blue Apron were to offer a SNAP level mm-hmm. meal program, because that would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're Which, listening, one thing a co-op has a strength, the strength to do a co-op is able to scale down like membership prices, whereas maybe not a right. Blue well, apron. the co-op is just a one-time fee to sign up, and then it's just you have to work two hours and right. forty-five minutes every um, four, four weeks. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's so easy, but you know, that still takes like access and understanding and education to know that's available. Yeah. Um, but I think sure. that if companies, if all companies sort of had a mandate that they had to offer a 5% tier of like to lower income yeah. people in their area would be wonderful. Yeah. It would. Um, yeah. Side note, um, for meat and three, I did a story about Applestone meat company, which is in the Hudson Valley. And they, Josh Applestone has created a meat vending machine. Oh, nice. Which is, <clears throat> he's trying to get it spread to food deserts in the city. So I think, like, they were supposed to have a uh, one come out in Westchester, um, and they're trying to grow it up. I think it's expensive because everything requires refrigeration, and but it's really good quality meat that is in a vending machine, and they're trying to make them compatible with SNAP. So that's also another interesting development because for me, like, with Fresh Direct... And again, like absolutely no judgment whatsoever. You're much busier than I am. But like the carbon footprint is always what makes me feel anxious about buying groceries on Amazon or on Fresh Direct is like, I live in New York and like, I don't have to get in a car to do things. Absolutely. And that makes, and like, I like that. And it makes me feel like I'm helping a little bit. <laughs> absolutely. I, I mean, I worry about carbon footprint, like flying, flying places. I think yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other upside to that, though, is, like, living in a city, we kind of get by on economies of scale. So, like, if I go to Whole Foods and I buy more than one bag, I probably need to, like, take a cab home. Exactly. Versus, like, somebody, like, a fresh direct driver who's got, like, you know, 200 other people's groceries in my building or my, like, quadrant of Stytown is going to be, like, oh, yeah, this is, like, it's all kind of, like, super efficiencies of, like, us living in Mm high-density housing. Mm -hmm. And I guess the more people who buy into, like, a a system like Fresh Direct, the Mm -hmm. more green it will be, which is interesting. I mean, I see, like, our Fresh Direct guy has this cart that is, like, every (laughs) single time I see him, it's towering. And so, like, you know, at all hours of the day, uh, you know, at least in my community, like, a lot of people are tapped into that. Um, Mm -hmm. But we definitely also, like pay and upcharge and there is some like amount of exclusivity there that it's like I'm excited to hear that they're piloting snap I hope that they're not charging delivery fees or that like they're figuring out some way for the drivers to be compensated if they're not getting tipped on those rides but um you know a lot of potential economies of skill that I think we could see develop yeah yeah um all right let's take take a quick break very quick break we'll be right back Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Welcome back to HR and Happy Hour. We are here with Larissa Zimbaroff talking about, I think we've all decided that um, what we love the most is groceries, and groceries are our valentine. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, Larissa's our valentine, but we're going to celebrate our valentine's love through our mutual love of groceries. (laughs) Uh, We were just having a quick offline chat. Um, We decided to make the most of our limited time together. We would like to know... The most good and the most evil things that are happening in grocery technology. Yes. So, one thing I learned about recently is that there are um, cameras being put on shelves. And the cameras are there to watch the out-of-stock, which is good for us, right? You don't want to show up and find your favorite toothpaste off the shelves. You don't want to 
you know, the toilet paper is too high and the, the one that you can reach, I'm very mm. short, so I can never <laughs> reach it. And then, you know, in the bodegas, right, you have to get the little snapper guy to pull it down. It's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> there was an international gesture for that snapper thingy <laughs> majigger. Um, so, you know, so they're putting cameras on shelves and it's to help out of stock and it's to help Pepsi and Coke know how they're selling their sodas if like the it helps to have four bottles across or three bottles across and what helps them sell better and it help gives the the market knowledge about out of stock and it's we're not even talking about the fees that these companies pay for the shelf space yeah we're not talking about that because we're not yeah that's a whole thing that's another episode that's another person another show yeah (laughs) so these cameras they're they i i am told that the cameras will take pictures of people but the pictures with people will be deleted and so sure Uh just like the body scanners (laughs) so (laughs) so there's that i mean you know we could talk about the airport scanners where you have to put your hands above your head and like help put your feet out and like you're like being scanned but but these these cameras are becoming more more commonplace and in addition to cameras many many stores like Walmart and Target and Lowe's uh, home home improvement they're they're testing uh, robots that will go up and down the aisles scanning for things that are have gone awry <laughs> Can you describe what one of those robots might look like? Because yeah, I'm picturing yeah. like an android, which is probably not. Yeah, I know. It's like that's a scary. It's sort of like a weeble wobble. So right, so he's like sort of a, a triangle with a curved I don't know bottom. That makes me feel better. It's sort of like a curved bottom, like like scary. pyramid, like roundabout, kind of like soft and fuzzy. And so he goes up and down. He, I don't know why he's a he. He's an open-minded gentleman. Because a, a woman would I never do this. One. Exactly. Yeah. No, I saw one. He in, did. And um. The South Shore of in Boston market, over Super Bowl. Your... No, not in not in New York. I was uh, traveling over Super Bowl weekend, and it was one there. And it, I mean, Ooh. it. You know, everyone sort of like jumps out of the way, and it just goes. Yeah. It, I think it also is like supposed no. to alert them when there is like a mess somewhere. You have to exactly. get out of its way. Wow. Yeah. We were. I mean, I felt like I also. <laughs> it's like a blind person. <laughs> I'm picturing if like R two D two and the male bot from the Americans had a baby. It's that. Yeah, it kind of is. That's yeah, good. thanks, Lisa. It's deeply upsetting. Thumbs up. <laughs> I wish you. Do they have any kind of us. warning? Like, I don't. I robot know. may approach. Oh, I like, did, I didn't get that. I don't know if there's a warning. I think. I think the 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 the, the publicist at Walmart said that the reviews had been mixed. That that most people were either like ignored it or just were like, oh, look at that. Like, but that it was fine. And. We're welcoming our Android overlords. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, I don't pay my bridge toll anymore because it's just a little beepy thing <laughs> right. on my dashboard, right? right? So we just think about the jobs that, you know, people don't want to check out of stock. Although I think there's like, to me, there's like two sides of it, which is that there are people that could have that job mm-hmm. and make money, which is valuable and we want that. And then they're turning... And that makes our turning, groceries cost more. Yeah, they're turning robots, which are very expensive and don't scale yet, right? <laughs> right. So... Uh, Walmart's testing it in 50 stores right now. I'm sure it will roll out to more. And many stores will be looking at a hybrid of um, cameras and robots. And this is all to keep track of what's on the shelves, what's selling through. Because even if, even though Coke and Pepsi are like big giants who know so much and have really got it down, they, they still don't know if their product made it to the shelves mm-hmm. and how much of it is on the shelf. They don't know if their marketing is on the shelf. So these cameras are to help sell more. Um, and we're they aren't yet to... helping us. They aren't yet helping us. They aren't yet making our marketing experience better. At some point, they talk about it down the road, is that those cameras and those robots will make our shopping experience better. So that means that hmm. when I go in, I like to eat Whole30 and Whole Foods and healthy, then, then the my messaging on my phone, if it's tracking me, will tell me about you know deals that I might be, be getting. And I, we're supposed to trust that these big mega companies are simply taking these images of our physical appearance and who's spending how much time looking at their products and, and just and not, not do anything with that. Well, look, like I said, the, the, um, I mean, they can't really, there isn't really anything that, that they can, it isn't, there isn't anything of value if they were to keep the photos of us. There really is, at the moment, only value in the, the products on the shelves. Mm. So they don't really want pictures of us because they're using computer vision to build out a whole uh, display 3D version of what's in the stores. That's what they want. And there used to be people that would go in and use their phones and they would take pictures and they would send them in. And that's how they got um, yeah, uh, 
that's how they got confirmation that what mm. was that the, what they had sent to the market was on the shelves. Now they're using computers, uh, uh, robots, and cameras to do that. So they don't really need us. They don't really want us. I think we should be worried about airplane airports, like where video cameras are. Mm-hmm. Color me cynical, but I think there <laughs> is a lot they can get from photos of us. They can get like just the color of people's skin, gender, all these different things about us that like a lot if they of, like, wanted to use if they yeah, totally. If they wanted to use it, they totally could. You you're right. And so one thing that they w- will eventually use is how long we stand in front of something. Yeah. And if we look at the back of the product and if we read the ingredients, mm-hmm. they will. They and will. If same we kind don't, of stuff what that, can like, they slip in there without yeah. us caring? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wait, so, okay, that was the dark side. That was the dark side. Did we do <laughs> a light the side? Light? Show we us the light, Larissa. Yeah. Okay, the light. Help! How is grocery store tech helping us? <sighs> is there anything related to, like, food access or, like, I don't know. Like innovations, I, like new foods. One thing I was thinking of, you did mention the, like, the Amazon trying to do the cashierless yes, stores. Yes. And I've read a couple pieces of independent uh, grocery stores that were um, basically had no staff and you could, you scan, it's a very community driven store and you can swipe yourself in and out. Have you done anything around that? I think that could be very hopeful. Mm. Yeah. As far as I know, there's only a, there's, well, there was one that I included in my, what I wrote about for Foodplicity. You can find the story online. It's great. Um, and it's it's a store that you know you're a member, and that that helps them. Just like Heritage Radio Network has members, and it helps them survive. Thank you. Become Thank a member today. Plug. Um, <laughs> love you. So you know, actually, sidebar, which is that Costco makes most of its money by its membership. So mm. membership is oh. like a, is like a hugely valuable thing. Huh. Yeah. So we're like Costco, <laughs> just like Costco. Better than Sam's Club. <laughs> you just need some Kirkland products in your set. Uh-huh. <laughs> you need some Kirkland rose. If uh-huh. you're listening, guys, we. <laughs> Are sponsorships. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you, you are a member of this market. You can go in anytime you want. There's a keypad. You can buy the, your goods. The, the farmers let themselves in. They restock. It's amazing. It's Ooh. in a small town in the middle of the country, and but there are I've seen I've passed them like the roadside stands where there's there's fruits and veggies and you just leave a few dollars. This I bought a, like I bought a cactus model, recently. Right? Yeah. yeah, I bought a system. I bought like a succulent recently because it was like you know <laughs> drop some money in the jar and I was like how much do I want to leave? Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so I think these things will pop up. Um, like we talked about the bulk stores, zero waste bulk stores that are going to be in Williamsburg and Bushwick. Mm-hmm. Um, I think these, you know, w- what we don't know is can they survive, right? right? Can they figure out the business model well enough that they can survive? Because the bulk stores seem like they're probably expensive and very like, you know, it's going to be high access people who can boil their beans for 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So I think that um, these, these cashierless models yeah, the Amazon versus the just go in and get it membership version. I think they they give me hope. They give me hope that there's these like possibilities for different types of stores that are you know um, on your best you know on your, your best behavior of like get it, pay for it, and you know be a good person. Something to be hopeful about. <laughs> yes, optimism. So about we need people being good people. All right, so we have some trivia. And our trivia theme is kind of a cross between, like, it's it's food technology history, Ooh. sort of. I, I wanted to stay in that realm. I thought it would be fun. So let's do, like, some rapid-fire trivia, and everyone, no one else has seen the answers. We're so you have team. some oh, okay. support. Good, good, good. Yeah. All right. Question number one. Who is considered the father of frozen of the f- frozen food industry thanks to the invention of his double-belt freezer that made it possible to freeze packaged fish much quicker than previous methods. Packaged fish. It's something to do with fish sticks. <laughs> it's not. It's actually. So his last name is a very common frozen food. A bird's eye. Oh, yes. Yep. Oh. His last name yes. is bird's eye? Clarence bird's eye. <laughs> I was like, Stouffer. I, I was like, it's Gordon. John like Green Giant. <laughs> Calendar. I was like, I got it. Yeah. Yes. Nailed Clarence Bird's eye. He basically kind of invented like flash, like flash freezing. Does this wow. mean that you're gonna change my voicemail, leave my voicemail message, if you want my it. outgoing voicemail? Yeah, we'll all do it Liz. by request. But yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> um, all right. Question number two. What now essential kitchen gadget was originally invented as a woodworking tool in Arkansas, oh. but then marketed as a food first marketed as a food grater in a Toronto publication in 1994? Mm-hmm. What? I know it. 
Is it something we were talking about? Spiralizer? Earlier? No, but it. What I think. No, it was close though. It's a related mechanism. Oh, oh like a cheese grater. So much like a cheese grater. You might even grate. Oh, a microplaner. Yes. Oh, that's exactly it. Yes. <laughs> See, because it sounds like a hardware tool and not yeah. a food. Yeah. 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 It's a woodwork. It's like a rasp. I yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's so interesting. It was actually invented to be a wood grater. And then this this woodworking magazine was like, hey, you, you should buy this for food. You should grate your Parmesan on this because it will be so fluffy. Yeah. Just like I'm older than all of you guys. And like I had like woodworking classes like back in the day. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> so did I. <laughs> it lives. I have to say in my school, I'm 32, I think. Um, the girls <laughs> took home ec and the boys took shop. Oh. Isn't that not disgusting? We didn't have home ec. I took FFA where I did build a birdhouse. That's a total Stella glassware, stemware. Of it oh, is. Stella moment. Bring it, it back. Really color. We right. did at least all take computer. Good. <laughs> that was a class. <laughs> computer That's why class. you're so good at computer. <laughs> all right, question number three. Vending machines may seem like a modern invention, but they actually date back to at least the first century. Hero of Alexandria created a machine that would accept a coin and deposit what? what? Cigarettes. No. no. Wait, what? Wait. Tell me the year. <laughs> this is like one? Four, 40 to 70 AD. Oh. What? This is in Alexandria under oh. the rule of Roman Empire. To- uh, togas? <laughs> togas. <laughs> Leather sandals no is it food it's it's uh it's a liquid wine is it wine. booze yeah. it's not a booze water what kind of water uh, did they have magical more than healing one? water holy water holy water yes. it would you would drop a coin in and it would be on a tilt and as the coin slid down the tilt it would open the like pump and you would get water and then as, as soon as it hit the edge, it would pop back up. What does this say about religion and money? Yeah. A lot. It says a lot about it. There's a lot of history. You should have known then. That's that. (laughs) All right. Question number four. What cookware... Oh, hint about the next two questions. They are people that we like a lot. All right. The answers are people we like. In fact, I already know the next answer then. You said cookware. What cookware brand was founded in Fresnoy Le Grand in 1925 because of the town's strategic location at the crossroads of transportation routes for iron, coke, which is a coal, and sand. It's got to be Le Creuset. It's Le Creuset! We love it somewhere. There it is. Okay, yes. and last question. Mushi Komodo is a type of charcoal grill that became popularized in the U.S. <laughs> after the Second World War. What's the viridescent name of the U.S.-based company that makes these style of grills and is known to have a cult following? Oh, you have viridescent is the. the, the no, I just know what it's called. It's a binchotan, right? But I don't know who makes. But it. that's big, it, big green. Yay! I know, I know. It's like green. Big green, green egg. egg. Yep. Based I in thought Atlanta. you were gonna talk about that tattoo. What's oh, it? Ariana Grande's <laughs> tattoo. This says "I love barbecue uh, grill." Finger. Yeah, she should have a tattoo that says "I love big, big green, green egg. egg." Big green egg finger. Love Ariana. I learned. So I learned. Big green egg is like a surprisingly, um, uh, like, global company because it's it was founded in Georgia. The guy used to work on Japanese like video games, like early video games, and he brought back the grills. He found like this in the seventies, so it's like a Japanese, obviously like inspiration of the girl. But he has a good partnership with the company, in, a factory in Mexico, and they're all made in Mexico. I didn't yeah. know that. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah, big green egg. I like the Japanese, Georgian, Mexican. Yeah, yeah, collaboration. It's a global company, man. Feel some real good chicken. Don't tell the suburbanites in Atlanta that that company is very global. <laughs> they think it's all Georgia made. Just kidding. Yeah, you know. Is that an Atlanta slam? Yeah. I live She's there. It's fine. She does that, yeah. yeah. Love, <laughs> love to hate them. Um, no, I love Atlanta. Oh. The big, the big green egg, big green egg has a headquarters in Tucker, Georgia that I've been to. It's awesome, and they they do a lot of cooking classes there, and they call it La Cordon Green. Oh. <laughs> that's For real. So much. For real. For real. Oh my that's good. Um, that's wow. good. Yeah, that's our show. That's my Marissa. trivia. 
That's Thank it. Thank you so much for being our guest today. <laughs> it went so fast. Go by so, right? so fast. I loved it. Stay forever. It was an hour this week. I we, loved it. Yeah, we, we've gone on into overtime, and I would like <laughs> to keep going forever. <laughs> OT. Amanda's going to yell at us. I know. We're in big, big trouble. Because <laughs> there's another show. I hope you'll come back and be our guest again soon. I would love to come this back. This has been a blast. Yes, I loved it. The pink bubbles were especially <laughs> great, and having four Valentines is even greater. Thank you for making this the greatest HR and Happy Hour Valentine's of all time. Yay! Yay! Cheers, guys. Cheers. We'll see you next Thursday. Adieu. Thanks, Amanda. Cheers. HR and Happy Hour is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast is a popular hosting and analytics platform that allows podcasters to easily host and publish to apps like Apple Podcasts. If you have a podcast or are looking to create your very first, check it out. Try it for free and save half off your first three months at simplecast.com heritage. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.